I want to begin a new series. Now, I know nobody in here is tempted, but this is so you can get the CD and take it to somebody. Anybody been tempted this year yet? How about this week? We'll stop right there. We're going to talk for a few weeks about temptation, tackling temptation. And before I get into this, let me remind you, what's happening this Wednesday night? What are we beginning? Romans. And I, you know, a lot of the church is anemic because the, the church doesn't know the Word of God. And we have put together a folder for you. We're going to be handing out notes. And by the time we're done with Romans, you're going to have a whole book on it, just a little a booklet on the book of Romans for your keeping so you can go back and read it. Nothing will explain Christianity better to you than Romans. So I encourage you, don't go home and turn on the TV. Ain't nothing on it that beats the Word of God. Just make the journey. Well, what about all that traffic? Well, sit in the traffic a little bit. Jesus rose from the dead. You can get out of bed. Amen? All right, let's stand up together and let me read uh, one passage, and then we're going to pray together, and we're going to let the Lord talk to us about temptation, the certainty of temptation. And I'm going to share some characteristics of temptation with you. Look what it says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He never will. And then it says, He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Another version says, He's faithful to make a way of escape, a doorway of escape that you may be able to bear it. So when you're tempted, God knows about it. Now, i got to tell you what I told the first service. I was going to preach something else, and I went into prayer, and God began to deal with me about this subject. And I couldn't get away from it. Well, I preached on it. After the first service, I went back into my office for a minute, and uh, one of the ushers came and said, there's a lady out here that wants to talk to you. So I said, okay, and came out. And she said, I had already left, and I was already on my way home, and I had to come back and tell you. My son came home from having been prodigal last night, and I coaxed him into coming to church today. And she said, you read his mail. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. She was like Gomer Pyle. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and um, she said, I'm with you for life because of what happened with my son this morning. The Lord knows what we're dealing with. And so let's talk about it. Father, we just thank you for temptation and the victory we have over it, that it will work for our good. And thank you that you've got wisdom for that temptation. Speak to our hearts. Now, will you just breathe a prayer, church, and say, speak to me. And deliver me in the hour of temptation. Amen. You can be seated. And thank you so much. And uh, it's good to have all of you here today. And it's good to be back home. I'm going to cover these things in the next few weeks. Here they are. Today, the certainty of temptation. It's certain. It's going to come. Next time, I'm going to talk about the source of temptation and suffice it to say, it's not just the devil. You can't say with Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. The third week, the purpose of temptation. There is a purpose, and there is a difference between a temptation and a test. There, a test is not a temptation, a temptation is not a test, and the sources from which they come are different. So that'll be the third week. The last week, the escape from temptation. 
So we're going to deal with the certainty of it, the source of it, the purpose of it, and the escape from it. And it must be that God's talking to us about this, because I didn't know, but Pastor Keith talked about this Wednesday night. So it must be that somebody's being tempted. So let's talk about it. First of all, let's just begin real basic. Temptation comes to everyone. Temptation comes to us all. It's a guarantee. There is not a person in here who is not tempted at one time or another. The only time temptation will stop is when you are dead. And since no one in here is dead, you're being tempted. Temptation is common. Now Peter tells us, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trial or temptation you're going through as if it were something strange that was happening to you. Temptation is not something strange or unique or unusual. It's not extraordinary. It's not something that ought not to be happening. Now, I will tell you that the more you stay in the Word of God, the more you stay in prayer, the less potent temptation will be. But you're never going to get out of temptation until you're in heaven. We're always going to be tempted. Not only does it come to everybody, but the Bible says nothing you are being tempted to do is unique or unknown to other people. Now, the enemy has a way of making us feel like we are unique, we're unusual, we're special, we're going through something no one else understands or knows. But that's not true. Whatever is banging on the door of your house of faith in the form of temptation today, somebody else somewhere right now is experiencing the same thing. It's not unique. It's not unusual. It comes to everybody. Did you know that even Jesus was tempted in every way that you are being tempted today? The Bible says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us when he was on this earth, he had a body of flesh, and he was tempted. He was attacked by the devil. He was tried. And there's not one temptation you or I are experiencing that Jesus did not feel or experience that arena, that area of temptation in. Paul told the Corinthian church, hey, don't think that you're going through a weird thing. It's common to everybody to be tempted. He told them, it's not if you get tempted, it's when you get tempted. When it comes knocking on your door, you're going to be tempted. This is why we hear in verse 12 a warning. If you think you're standing strong, if you think you're invulnerable, if you think you're impenetrable, if you think you can't be tempted or you can't fall, think again. The Bible says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful that you don't fall. Because right when you think you're standing strong, the enemy broadsides you with a temptation. Everybody in here can fall. There's not a person in here that cannot succumb to temptation. We need to know that because it'll make us dependent on the Holy Spirit on, and on the Word of God. Now let me share some of the characteristics of temptation with you. When it comes to us, how does it come? What, what makes the best kind of temptation? What is the most successful temptation? Now I'm sharing this because I want to expose the devil. I hate the devil. I hate what the devil does. He's the author of death the author of pain, the author of sickness, the author of disease, 
the author of hopelessness, the author of despair. He comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. Anytime the devil attempts to tempt you and me, it is always with the motivation of destroying, killing, ruining, sabotaging the work of God. Now let me share some of the characteristics of his best temptations. Here's the first one. Temptation comes in the hour of weakness and the hour of weariness and the hour of want. Temptation strikes best when you are hungriest, when you are the weakest, when you are the most tired. That's when the enemy pulls back the bow and fires the arrow into your mind of temptation. He wants to bring you down when you're weak. It comes in the hour of weakness. It strikes when we are either physically or spiritually or emotionally tired or hungry, in need. I want you to listen to Jesus, what happened to him in the wilderness. It says he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil, Matthew 4 tells us. And for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now notice Jesus had been without food for a long time. And it says he got to a place where he was very, very hungry, of course. And then look what the Bible says. During that time, the devil approached him. What time? The time when he was hungry. The time when he was needy. The time when he was tired. The time when he was weak. That's when the enemy approached him. Knocked on the door of his life. And tempted him. And what did he tempt him with? He said, if you are the Son of God, use your power and tell these stones to become loaves of bread. In other words, Jesus, use your power to meet your need. But there's always a hook in what the devil tempts us to do, and there's always a twist of Scripture when he uses it. And God had not given Jesus the power that he had to heal the sick and raise the dead and whatnot. He didn't give him that power to use on himself, but he gave him that power to minister to other people. And so the enemy came to him this way. I want you to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I want you to meet a right need in a wrong way. And he hit him with it when he was hungry, when he was tired, when he was weak. That's why I tell you today, if you reach a place where you're emotionally exhausted or physically exhausted or spiritually uh, 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 weary, spiritually beat up, spiritually tired, you need to watch out because that's when the enemy will come to you. And like I told you today, I'm here to expose him. I want to expose him for the dastardly tempter that he is. He does not play fair. He strikes when the striking is good. He strikes when you're hungry. And you know what he said to Jesus sounded reasonable, and it always does. It was speaking to a legitimate need. It looks uh, sensible. It made sense. And the best temptations always do. You're down, you're depressed, have a little drink. You're confused going through a hard time, involve yourself in that relationship. You're going through a difficult hour, God understands. He strikes when you're hungry emotionally, when you're hungry relationally, when you're hungry sexually. When you're hungry, physically, he strikes. And he says, here you go. And it sounds sensible. It looks right. It, it, it's logical. 
and he tries to capitalize on your need. But Jesus saw the trap, and Jesus, Jesus replied this way, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What was he saying? I will not meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I will wait on God to meet my need, or the need won't be met. And church, we're going to have to get stronger and tougher that way. Let me tell you something. Often the enemy comes to you with his bait right before God's provision really arrives to meet a legitimate need in a legitimate way. So if you'll just hang on a little bit longer, God comes through and answers your prayer his way and he gets the glory for it. In the book of Genesis, we saw that when Esau, the brother of Jacob, came walking out of the forest after a long day of hunting, you had Esau, you had Jacob, and they were the sons of Isaac. And Jacob was a, somebody that liked to stay in the tent and watch TV. And Esau, y'all did catch it. There was no TV back then. Now, that's scary to me. You're going, oh, he's watching TV. He liked to stay in the tent, but Esau liked to go out and hunt. And Esau came in from a long day of hunting. And the Bible says that Jacob was waiting with a bowl of stew, but he was not waiting to meet his brother's need. As a matter of fact, I hate to say it, but Jacob, who was one of the patriarchs, was acting a lot like the devil right here. Because he was sitting there with a bowl of stew that he had made, knowing Esau was coming out of the field, and there was something Esau had that Jacob wanted, his birthright. He wanted the birthright of the firstborn. And so he waited until Esau was hungry, and in need. And the Bible says Esau arrived home from the wilderness, look at this, exhausted and hungry, just like Jesus had been. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that beef stew. Esau had a legitimate, God-given need. He was very hungry, and he was very tired, but Jacob was not there to bless him with what he needed. He was there to get something that he wanted. And the devil doesn't come to you to meet your need. He acts like he's going to meet your need. He pretends that he's meeting your need, but he's after something. He wants something. He wants to take something from you. He wants to take your birthright, take your blessing, take what God has given you, take your calling, take your hope, take your faith. And so... The tempter was waiting in the person of Jacob to take unfair advantage of his need. Now let me tell you something about the devil. I'm here to preach Jesus up and the devil down. Let me tell you the truth about the devil. He doesn't play fair. There are no rules of conscience in his playbook. He's ruthless. He's cunning. He's diabolical. He's unholy. And he's cruel. The tragic, painful consequences that follow, the temptations that he brings to us, mean nothing to him. He doesn't care about your tears. He doesn't care about your broken heart. In fact, this is what he's after, the destruction of your life. He's in it for the end game. When he comes to you and I with a temptation, he's in it for the end game, the day when the consequences all come crashing in and lives are ruined. Satan never weeps over a child's tears. He never cries over a teenager's destruction. He never laments the death of his victims. He is an equal opportunity destroyer bent on wrecking your life. 
Esau was blinded by his hunger, when Jacob said to him, All right, but trade me your birthright as the firstborn son, and I'll give you the beef stew, sure. And what did Esau say? Esau, in a moment of need, said, Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? And I want you to look at how his immediate need blinded him to the higher value of his calling in God. you got to watch out when you're in a place of need that you don't let that need co-opt the call of God and the purpose of God for your life. Jacob said first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau made a lifelong mistake and Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. And he got the stew, but he lost his birthright. Oh, that was no exchange, folks. It wasn't worth it. And it's never worth taking what the enemy offers you in the immediate sense because of what you lose in the long-term sense. Hebrews 12 tells us that Esau traded his birthright as the firstborn son for one single bowl of porridge. And it says, you know, that afterward, everybody say afterward. There's always an afterward with temptation. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. If he could have gone back, hit rewind and gone back, he would have run from that bowl of porridge. Temptation struck in the hour of hunger and weariness. That's the first thing I see about temptation. Watch it when you're hungry. Watch out when you're hungry. Stay close to God when you're hungry. Now, the second thing about temptation I see is the tempter and the temptation come disguised. The tempter and the temptation arrive disguised. The Bible says this about Satan, your enemy, my enemy. He's out for you. Be alert, be careful. Your enemy, like a roaring lion, walks about, circles you, seeking whom he may devour. We've got an enemy. Never forget it. When you feel he's farthest away, he might be closest. Always be aware that you've got one circling you to eat you alive, take you down, ruin your life. It says Satan dresses up as a beautiful angel of light. He doesn't come to you with horns and a pitchfork and a long red tail. No, no, no. He's a master of disguise. Please hear me today, church. When the enemy comes to you, he does not come as the enemy. He comes as an angel. Well, where is an angel from? An angel is from God. He comes as an angel, an angel of light. Another translation says he disguises himself. And another one says he masquerades as an angel of light. The word disguise mean to change, means to change one's appearance, to masquerade as someone or something else, to wear a costume, to put on a mask. That tells us a whole lot about the enemy of our soul. When he approaches us, he thinks, now what will they believe? You know, this week I went fishing. And it's a fisherman's job to use bait well. As a matter of fact, you're kind of being a little bit devilish when you're fishing because you're using bait to deceive. You are out to deceive the fish. If you don't deceive the fish, you're going to starve to death. You've got to deceive the fish. So we went out in this deep sea boat, and the guy, the captain said, now here's how you, here's how you set a shrimp on a hook so they can't take it off. 
and it'll look like it's walking down on the bottom. So he showed us how to do this. And so we throw this uh, shrimp down, and it looks like it's walking along the bottom. And he said, then you pull up, and they think the shrimp that they're looking at is walking away. And so they hit. And when they hit, they end up losing control. And that's exactly how the enemy does you and I. At first, you're free. At first, you're free to choose. The enemy says, go ahead and try that drug. You don't see the hook in it. See, it's his job to disguise the hook. You don't see it. Or why don't you start leaning on that alcohol a little bit more? God understands you're depressed, you're going through trouble, you're under a lot of stress. Go ahead and drink the trouble away. And you start drinking, and you keep on drinking, and you keep on drinking, or you keep on drugging, or you keep on whatever. And before you know it, you're not free. Something's pulling you up, or I should say down. All of a sudden, the rod would bend. And I know that down there a fish is regretting his decision. <laughs> he's regretting his decision because he's being pulled somewhere he does not want to go. He has lost control of his freedom. He is no longer his own fish. He can't wander where he wanted anymore. Now he is at someone else's beck and call. And he ended up in a boat, and he finally ended up in my stomach. Now, do you think he got up that day going, I believe today I will go get caught and get eaten. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the only way he can succeed is you've got to bite the bait. And the only way that's going to happen is if he disguises himself. He can disguise himself in the well-meaning, sensible advice of a friend, as Peter did with Jesus when he said, Far be it from you, Lord, that you should go to the cross. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. He knew who was talking through his friend. For you only care about the things of men and not the things that be of God. Sometimes you can be surrounded by Job's counselors, by friends who are giving you advice that is not from God. And that's why we've got to know the Word of God so that when we are given advice that is contrary to the Word of God, we know it, we see it, and we walk away from it, and we don't bite the bait. Satan disguises himself in sheep's clothing. When we are being approached by false teaching, Jesus warned, watch out for false prophets, false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Bah. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves out to take you captive. But they walk up disguised. They come in a disguise. They look innocent. They look harmless. They look simple. They look like they care about you. But they're a wolf wrapped in sheep's clothing. And I see people all the time. I, I, we were talking to a lady this week, Kathy and I, who it was very clear to me was beginning to believe in some stuff that was false doctrine. And she was so excited about it and just effusive about it. And, oh, it's so wonderful, this and that and the other. And, and we could tell that a wolf had begun to make its way into her life. And how did it come? Sheep's clothing. Innocent, harmless. Satan even disguises himself as God in an attempt to convince you the temptation you're experiencing is not wrong at all, but it's sent from God. Listen to James. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to temptation say, God is trying to trip me up. God puts evil in no one's way. 
And how does the enemy come to us? He does it like this. God understands. He'll come as God. I understand the problems you're going through. I understand the stress. Here, go ahead. I'm putting this in front of you, and I'm making you an exception to the rule because you're going through so much pain. Poor baby. And we say, okay, he's making an exception for me. If it's not in the Word, it's not from God. If it's not in the Bible, it's not from God. Because God will not put temptation in anyone's path to do evil. It's not from God. And you will never be an exception to the Word of God. Satan even disguised himself as a theologian, a Bible scholar, a Bible expert. Three times he said to Jesus, it is written, it is written, it is written. And one time he said to Eve, has God said? And he debated the word of God with her and that's how she fell. He came across as a Bible scholar, an expert on the word of God. And she succumbed. Jesus saw the trap and said, no, that's the word of God, but it's twisted. And it's not quoted accurately. Satan puts a mask on. He's disguised. And the last thing I want to point about temptation is this. Temptation's tactic is to maximize benefits and minimize consequences. Now let me get right down to it and shoot real straight with you. Boy, it's quiet in here today. Have you all noticed that? Watch this. Have you ever noticed about the Bible... The Bible is faithful to maximize the consequences. The Bible focuses on the consequences of sin. The Bible says, for instance, if the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Maximizes the consequences. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. Maximizes the consequences. But what does the devil do and what does this culture do? This culture minimizes consequences and maximizes benefits. This culture comes and says, hey, Get off this religious stuff. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Go where you want to go. Uh, do your own thing. There's no God. There's no consequences. Don't get into that church stuff. You won't enjoy life. You won't have any fun. You won't meet anybody. You'll be lonely, frustrated. You'll die lonely and frustrated. And this culture lies to you. Because... The enemy says this culture is lying in the power of the wicked one. Well, if it's lying in the power of the wicked one, what do you think its message is going to be? Jesus said he's the father of lies. When he speaks, he, how do you know the devil's lying? When he talks. And he says, the devil can't talk without lying. And since this culture is in the power of the wicked one, that everything this culture is teaching you and I about life and deeds and actions and consequences is a lie. Because the Bible says if you sin, you will die. If you sin, you'll be separated from God. If you give in to the enemy, you're going to lose, not gain. Satan's modus operandi is to turn your focus from the consequences to the immediate benefits of what he is offering. And he wants you to think only about immediate gratification and not delayed gratification. He wants you to take matters into your own hands and not wait on God for God's provision. The last thing he wants for you to consider is the consequences. But God's Word, and that's why you need to be in the Word. How will a young person cleanse their way? By taking heed thereto according to your Word. 
How can a young man or a young woman stay pure? By hiding the Word of God in your heart. How are you going to get victory over temptation unless you're in this Word all the time? At least once a day, five days a week. You've got to be in this Word if you're going to win over temptation or the one who is circling you is going to find a way in. Listen to this, men. Listen to what it says about the strange woman. What's a strange woman? A seductress. What you and I are approached with every single day in the media, every single day in books and magazines. I had a young person say to me today after the first service, said, anywhere I look, anywhere I go, I see seductive messages that want me to go into immorality. Everywhere I look, everywhere I go. It is omnipresent. It's everywhere. But listen to what the Bible says. The lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her soft words are oh so smooth. But it won't be long before she's graveling your mouth a pain in your gut, a wound in your heart. Well, you weren't counting on that when she was talking so smooth, were you? Gravel, pain, wound, that's the end of a thing, not the beginning. The bait says bite, but the end thereof is a hook. Gravel, pain, wound in your heart. It's never worth it. Everybody say with me, consequences. In the hour of temptation, stop and think. Stop right now, wherever you are in your life, and think. If I go there, if I sow to that, what's the harvest going to be like? That's why I tell the young people, you never need to try a drug once. You don't need to drink once. Why? You have the Holy Ghost. You have the Word of God in you. Why do you need it? You don't need it. You always reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. And you're not going to reap anything else. You're going to reap what you sow and nothing else later than you sow, and that's the deception to it, and more than you sow, that's the blessing or the curse of it. If it's righteousness, you're going to get more. If it's evil, you're going to get more than what you sowed. Well, Pastor Jeff, what do I do? Because frankly... I'm in the middle of temptation. I'm being tempted to a relationship, to a habit, to a drug, to something that I know is going to adversely affect me. Here's what you do. First of all, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Yes, if you can't defeat it yourself, find a trusted friend or a counselor and go to them and take them aside and say, I need to tell you something. If you tell anybody, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. And they say, okay. And then you go ahead and say it because the enemy works in the dark. He wants you to go through this alone. He wants you to reach a place where you believe there is no help for you in God. But there is. And you tell someone and you expose it to the light. So just find somebody you can tell and who can pray with you. And then when you get tempted, you can call them. Say, well, the devil's knocking on my door again. Here it is. Call them and tell them. 90% of temptation is defeated when it's exposed to the light. Yes. Second thing you do is spend extra time in the Word of God and in prayer, whether you feel like it or not. Open up the Bible, get alone, and spend more time in the Word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy Word. Thy Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What is the weapon of our warfare? The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You can't live without it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thy word, thy word was like honey to my taste. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. His word is good. Put His Word in your heart. And then finally, you got to know that it will pass. Can I give you some good news today? Yesterday when it was storming, we never get uptight about that, do we? Because we know what? It will pass. Storms pass, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. It says that Jesus Himself is able to help us when we're tempted. It says in Hebrews 2.18, For because he himself has suffered being tempted, tested, and tried, he is able. Can you say with me, he is able? He is able to run to the cry of those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you'll turn it over to Jesus, he will whoop that thing. He will beat that temptation down. You will walk away, and you will have victory. But if you don't defeat it, and you don't get victory over it, or you take it lightly, or you decide to not believe the Word of God and walk off on your own, you will pay. You will pay. There's no getting away from it. You will suffer the consequences. But thank God he was hung up for our hang-ups. Can we stand up together today? God is good. He is good all the time. Temptation comes in the hour of weakness. Temptation comes disguised. Temptation is never fair. Not ever fair. God is able. Now I want to pray for you if you're being tempted today. This is why we're in church. We're here together to fight the enemy together and get the victory together. With your heads bowed a moment, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in an hour of temptation. I'm in a battle. And I need the grace of God to help me, and I sure needed this today. Can you raise your hand? Bless you. Many, many, many people. Many people. Many people. Thank you, Lord. Well, I want to tell you, the grace of God is here to help you. When I am weak, then I am strong, said Paul. The grace of God takes over when our strength gives out. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for these precious people. Everyone in a battle with temptation. Lord, you are able to have sympathy and empathy with us in the hour of temptation. And by your power, you are able to deliver us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are greater than the one who is tempting us. Lord, I thank you for victory over drugs, over immorality over alcohol abuse, over depression, over suicide, over every temptation of the enemy. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the victor and you have triumphed over the enemy. 
Now, Lord, may the grace of God be extended to everyone in this sanctuary with hands raised. Lord, may the grace of God, the enabling of God, the help of God come upon them to spot the disguises of the enemy, to consider the consequences and not the benefits, and to not consider what they're going through unusual or unique where nobody can understand them. But we thank you, Lord that you have shed a light on the attacks of the enemy today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Can you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.